Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. I met Tanya Lee out in Somerville, Massachusetts. I was telling her about the Good Athlete Project and she brought up the idea that athletics have played an important and interesting role in Native American culture. Tanya is an academic, a journalist, a scholar, who's written about these subjects for years and had a lot of startling information to share. There are moments of this podcast that might be a little bit difficult to digest, perhaps even uncomfortable, but they're a very real part of our history and it's a necessary conversation to have. We talk about the assimilation of the Native American people and how athletics has an uncanny way of bringing a community together. Tanya talks about some of the most famous Native American athletes like Jim Thorpe, but also current athletes like Jude and Shoni Schimmel, basketball players at the University of Louisville. This is not a typical podcast for us, but as I mentioned, I think it's a necessary one. Settle in, listen close, and hopefully learn from Tanya Lee. I just want to make it absolutely clear that I am not American Indian, Mm -hmm. and I do not speak for any American Indian or for the tribes, and that you might do well as you explore further who you who you work with is mm-hmm. get some American Native Americans to talk about these issues because they are much more qualified than I and they would speak with a much more authentic voice than I can. I mean right. I, I, I I've learned a lot but I don't I don't speak for American Indians. I just okay. want that to be really clear. When I uh, first went out to Arizona we'd often go up to the uh, to Tupa City where there is a wonderful trading post and restaurant. And what you would notice up in Tuba City, if you went on a Friday afternoon, for example, there would just be this huge, high-energy thing going on because there was going to be a high school basketball game. Hmm. And the entire community went to high school basketball games. They, they go to high school football games. It's a real, um, real source of pride for the community. And it's interesting because it's both uh, girls and boys teens are very, very good. Yeah. And so that's um, that's a really nice thing, that, it, that it's not just guys who get um, recognition exactly. for their athletic skills. Yeah, that's actually really encouraging. Um, we just had a guy in the podcast not too long ago, Chris Levitino. He's fantastic. He runs an organization called Girls Play Sports um, for that, the opposite of that reason, because mm-hmm. he finds that, you know, um, there comes a time in people's lives where um, girls, for whatever reason, just stop. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that that pressure is not the same. Right. Two of the most famous Native American athletes out there right now are actually two women basketball players. Yeah. Um, their last name is Schimmel, I think. I can't remember their first names. Hmm. Um, but I, I did put them on the list of people, so you could look them up. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Can you share with us, we've talked about this a little bit, some of the some of the things you wish more people knew about the history of Native Amer- of Americans in the U.S.? A lot of this was very surprising to me. The history of, of European Native American contact is, um, it's a history of conquest. It's right. a history of manifest destiny. It's, I mean, first the conquistadors came uh, to Central America, and then the... Um, the settlers came to North America with the idea that they that they were here on a, on a mission from God and they were going to um, convert the, the indigenous peoples to Christianity and they were going to find wealth and resources here 
that they would ship back to Europe. Mm. And that's what they did. And there was um, you know, tremendous exploitation. Uh, there was slavery. There was Before there was black mm. slavery in this country, there was slavery of Native Americans. And that is true even in New England, which was one of the hotbeds of abolition in regard to yeah. black slavery. And now I have totally forgotten what the question was. Um, no, this is perfect. Just okay. essentially uh, anything that you'd like to share. And I think ultimately we want to move towards the boarding schools. And All right. Yeah. Okay. So um, needless to say, there was a huge amount of conflict mm -hmm. because the white people, the settlers, right from the beginning, um, I mean, they wanted to settle. They wanted the land. And the notion that it was already inhabited by people who cultures and beings should be respected never occurred to them. Right. Never occurred to them. They were Indians. They were savages. It didn't matter. Right. Um, and, and also, I mean, the, the Doctrine of Manifest Destiny said that the Christians, I mean, the, the Pope said the Christians had a right to conquer lands. They're be, just by virtue of their being Christians. Hmm. Um, and, and that was the theory that sort of everybody went by. Hmm. So there was a huge amount of conflict. There were, there were in the 19th century, there were the Indian Wars. A lot of people died. Yeah. Um, eventually, around the middle of the uh, 19th century, they started rounding up huge groups of, of Indian people um, and putting them on reservations. And there was, for the Cherokees, there was the Trail of Tears, which is still remembered bitterly. Sure. It is it is as if it happened yesterday. Yeah. For the Navajo, it was a long walk, and um, I mean these are these are elderly people and children, you know, being force marched by the army, you know, hundreds of miles. And needless yeah. to say, many people did not survive. Right. Once they were on the reservations, um, uh, there were very few food supplies, and they'd be, been removed from their traditional hunting and farming lands, so there was no food. Yeah. There were, the only food there was was what the um, what the government chose to give them. And the story you hear about smallpox small infested blankets is mm -hmm. actually true. Is it? And and it, it would and they were intended to do exactly what they did, which was to spread smallpox among the Indians on the reservations. I mean this this was genocide. Yeah. I mean our our country is founded on genocide and mm -hmm. there's something most people don't don't recognize. As part of that genocide was the idea that in order to, to destroy the cultures, um, the federal government made, made the conscious decision to take the children away from their families, from their traditions, from their cultures. In 1879, a uh, Captain Pratt set up the first boarding school in uh, Indian boarding school in Pennsylvania. Mm. And this was this was run along the lines of a military bar barracks. Children were taken from their homes, their hair was cut, their clothes were taken away, they were punished for speaking their native languages mm. or for, for uh, continuing any of the religious or spiritual traditions that they would have learned as children. And they were, they, they intentionally, I mean, they meant to turn them into white people. Yeah. And they worked very hard at it, um, the physical and Sexual abuse at these schools was just beyond anything we can imagine. Um, and the same thing happened in Canada and Australia. And Canada really? and Australia uh, have both uh, made serious attempts at reconciliation hmm. um, and, and uh, compensation. 
which in, in the United States, there have been nine official apologies. And when you sit down and read government apologies by the federal government to the Indian peoples, and when you sit down and read those apologies, they're not apologies at all. Right. There, there has been no serious attempt in this country. Actually, that's not true. There, there have been some attempts. Uh, there, there's a town in Minnesota, and a, you know, a few places where, on a very local level, on a town level, sure. people, border towns, have sat down with Indian and white people and tried to think about, well, how, how do we um, affect reconciliation between, um, you know between these populations, right. between these people who, who, you know, essentially now have to live together, but there's a huge amount of racism still against American Indians and Alaska Natives in this country. Um, it is probably as virulent as the um, discrimination against blacks that we discovered when Obama was elected to the presidency. Mm -hmm. I mean, all that kind of stuff that was sort of underground suddenly just rose to the surface. Sure. Um, so anyway, uh, Captain Pratt set up his boarding school, and uh, it was the first of what came to be a hundred boarding schools, more or less a hundred boarding schools, hmm. um, set up by the federal governments or by religious organizations to remove Indian children from their homes. And um, uh, Pratt's Pratt's theory was, uh, kill the Indian, save the man. Wow. And that was basically the idea. Strip these people of their culture, and they will somehow become civilized in the eyes of, of God. Um, the, the, in the early part of the 20th century, possibly more than 70% of American Indian children were removed from their homes, from their cultures, from their traditions, from their grandparents, hmm. and put in these boarding schools. And that was the first thing. That number is it's a, it's absolutely astounding. Staggering. Yeah. And um, in in 1908, actually, uh, Hopi parents, a group of Hopi men, eight or ten Hopi men, were sent to Alcatraz because they hid their children. That oh, they would gosh. they would send. They would send the military out with with horse-drawn carts to yeah. gather up the children and take them from their families to the boarding schools. And these the Hopi were just not having it, and they hid their children. Mm -hmm. um, and these men went to Alcatraz for doing that. Um, often when the children went to boarding schools, it's not like they came home for school vacations. They right. could be gone five, seven, ten years. Mm. Um, and of course, when they came back, they they were uh, many of them had trouble reassimilating back mm -hmm. into their own cultures, and they really weren't part of the, um, the mainstream culture. Right. Uh, they weren't so much educated as they were trained to be domestic servants and used as children as domestic servants mm -hmm. in white households. Um, it wasn't until 1978 when the Indian Child Welfare Act was passed. That it became illegal to remove Indian children to the boarding schools, although boarding schools still exist. Another incredible uh, number to remember: 1978. It took an, uh, all. It wasn't until 1978 where that act became illegal. Yes, pretty amazing. It wasn't until 1924 that Indians could vote. The practice of removing Indian children from their homes and placing them with white families actually um, persists. 
Mm-hmm. It's just done differently now. It's yes. children are taken by uh, by whatever the the state child welfare organization mm-hmm. um, and placed with white families. That happens a lot. If you, if you look at South Dakota or even at Maine, you find the number of children removed from their homes. The percentage, how does this go? Percentage-wise, more Native American children are removed than white children are removed from their homes and placed with strangers. Yeah. Um, and there, there are a couple of ongoing lawsuits, one particularly in South Dakota, where the number is atrocious. It's something like 30% of kids mm. are removed and and placed. And there, I mean, there are reasons for this. There, there's certain. I mean, there certainly is poverty, but you, it's against the law to take children. From poor parents just because parents are poor right um right. except if you happen to be indian right um so children are taken for that reason there's also i mean there's dysfunction there's also the question and this is a major question of alternative parenting practices mm-hmm. and this was certainly true in the um in the 60s where you know well-meaning supposedly well-meaning people were not understanding what native parenting practices were and not understanding the cultural norms and not understanding that that in this society this is what what works by way of parenting children so they would be taken because they were um not living for example in a nuclear family in their original nuclear family but in many instances the native community didn't recognize nuclear family they recognized extended family that was the family that raised the children but this was not acceptable according to white norms and so the children could be taken, hmm. um, and it you know it's not like these things have stopped. Right, there are it's in, not over. Right, it's not over. And if you look, the Bureau of Indian Affairs runs a number of boarding schools still. They run a lot. The Bureau of Indian Affairs still runs a lot of schools, and those schools are. I've written some articles about this, and some of them are just in atrocious condition. I mean, they yeah. they are conditions so unhealthy, so unsanitary, that. Most of us wouldn't let our child walk into that school. Right. Into You're that building. Asbestos, asbestos. Asbestos, mold, mm. rodents. Right. Just, there, there are schools in Minnesota with no heat. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, kids come all bundled up and kind of sleep through the day because they're so cold. Right. Um, well, we were talking about that when we, when we were on our uh, exercise, sleep, nutrition, wellness discussion. Um, think about what that means. If, if, if you are just trying to stay warm, um, how could you possibly learn? Right? You're not learning anything at all. No. And you know, you're probably not that well fed either. Right. You're trying to survive the day. Yes, that's yeah. exactly it. That's exactly it. Hmm. Um, so anyway, um, back to Captain Pratt yes. and his military boarding school. Yeah. Uh, the story is told that that some of the young men in that school went to Captain Pratt and said, "We want to play football." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yeah, okay, you can play football, but you've got to win." But you got to win. <laughs> you got to win. And um, among the the Carlisle football players was Jim Thorpe, mm-hmm. and they got very good, and they did win. And they played Harvard and Dartmouth and the Ivy League schools, and um, and they were very good, and they won. Yeah. Uh, so that it began a a tradition of Native American uh, players excelling at non-traditional sports, mm-hmm. such as as uh, football and basketball. Although there 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 were ball games. I mean, from we have evidence of ball games from way way back. 
right. um, in South and Central America, the, the indigenous peoples playing these games. Sure. So, but um, like, would that be like handball? I know lacrosse was a Native American sport in development. Yeah, handball. There are also other other kinds of ball games that that aren't played anymore. But something like this right. game kind of like soccer, mm. and you can see um, the archaeolo archaeologists um, have unearthed. Um, sort of arenas hmm. from thousands oh, wow. of years ago. Yeah, ball, yeah. Ball. I mean, they don't know. They're not absolutely certain what they are, but based on the evidence they have, they, they think they were um, huge sporting arenas. Wow. Um, Incredible. And long-distance running was very important in the right. Southwest, um, just because the distances are, are so great. Mm -hmm. And during the Pueblo Revolt of 1680, which was the one instance in this country where uh, Native Americans rebelled against the Spanish missionaries, mm -hmm. and and won. That and that was right. the important, the important right. part. Right. Successfully, and and that that victory held for about twenty years, and then of course, you know, it didn't it didn't hold forever, but it did right. hold for a while. But the way the way word was spread that today is the day of the revolt, which, um, you know, frankly was fairly bloody. Um, it was long distance runners ran from Pueblo mm. to Pueblo to say this is the day. Um, and it worked. Today is the day. Wow. Um, That's so interesting. I, if only because I, I walked past the statue of Paul Revere two days ago. Uh -huh. <laughs> it know? was exact, yes, yeah. exact analogy. Yeah. Only the, the runners had way further to go. They had further to go and they had no horse. And they had no horse. So That's aside from that. And cross country is still big in the Southwest, right? Very That's big. Yeah. And very, very big in, in the reservation schools. Right. Um, there, um, it's a little complicated to explain, but on Hopi, one of the things that happened there, the tribal government was set up in 1934 by the, by the federal government in order to sign mineral leases. One of the mineral leases that got signed was for extracting coal and water from Black Mesa. Um, and PV Coal Company, which is the world's largest coal company, company mm. one of the world's largest energy companies, um, are the folks who did that and who are still doing it out there. But in 1998, a group of Hopis got together and said this needs to stop. And the reason it needs to stop, aside from the fact that Hopi tradition says that the mineral should be left in the ground, um, was that Peabody was using sole source drinking water pumped from an aquifer under Black Mesa to slurry the coal from Black Mesa to Laughlin, Nevada, to the Mojave Generating Station. And so this is pristine, ice age, absolutely pure water, mm. and they're turning it into coal slurry. Um, and so mm. basically the, the elders said this has to stop. One of, yeah. the, one of the ways they gathered support for, um, for the cause, and, and one of the ways they, they and, and to get fundraisers to help them out, was... Um, through holding long, long distance, um, long distance runs, oh, wow. so that tradition, you know, served that purpose too. As recently as 2005, and a guy named Bucky Preston out there is is still doing it. He's holding runs in order to to help preserve the water. Um, That's amazing, and and you've touched on a couple things already. One, and we are advocates of all of this, but using sports and um, community to raise awareness for causes has become a common thing. Even the running, you know, 5Ks for a cause, right. a 10K right. for a cause, it's become a very popular thing. And it's 
fairly effective. It seems seems mm-hmm. to be at least. Um, and I also love the idea. We, we I think we kind of started with this of something to rally around. Um, can you tell more about your experience with um, basketball on the reservation and what that might mean? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me just interject here. Um, sure. Talking about runners, uh, an Indian, and I can't remember what tribe he was from, won the Boston Marathon in 1936 and in 1939. Right? There you so go. That's really kind of interesting. That is, absolutely. Um, basketball is really big on the reservation. Um, it is often the only recreational activity available to kids um, and that's because it's reasonable I mean it's the same reason that you, you see basketball being played in poor black neighborhoods sure. it's cheap you need a basketball you need something that resembles a hoop which doesn't even really have to be a genuine right. hoop and net just something right. to throw the ball through right um, and so basketball is a is a very big deal and um, Players are often often very very good because mm-hmm. I mean you don't have a whole lot else to do. I mean it's the same same reason you get good basketball players out of the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, and basketball can in many Indian communities become a, a real a real point. High school high school kids basketball becomes a real point of of community cohesiveness. It's mm-hmm. very important in those communities. Absolutely. So as soon as you say that, I can't help but think. You mentioned in certain communities, um, people almost obsessing over the sport, maybe because there's nothing else to do, maybe for whatever reason it is, um, they are wild about their sport. Absolutely. Which which to me seems like, gee, what an incredible opportunity. You hear, it's funny, you hear this... Um, I wonder what the, how this matches up, but in certain communities you hear, well, so-and-so won't show up to class, but so-and-so loves basketball. And they say that almost as, um, you know, putting someone down, like, why won't this kid show up to class? We just can't get him to be disciplined. Well, I would disagree. I think he's wildly disciplined right. about basketball, right? Right? You know, he'll, he'll show up every day and, and he's, he's passionate about it. He's driven. So why not meet him or her in that space in order right. to educate? It's it's an excellent idea, and there there are some um, organizations that are that are beginning to try to do that mm-hmm. to to bring kids to sports in order then to teach them other kinds of things, whether it's social skills or right. academic skills or mm-hmm. um, also so many kids so many kids on the reservation believe that they're going to grow up to be professional yeah. basketball or football players right and that. Um, it would be really great if there were a way to take that ambition, which there is almost no chance that they will be able to realize, right. and turn it toward academics. Sure. As you know, sort of, and this is the backup plan. Right. You know, everybody needs a backup. Right. Plan. Well, it, even oh, totally. So, so we do this, and that's true in a lot of communities. They'll say, you know, one day I will make it to the NFL or the NBA, and I'm I'm hesitant talking about that because on, on one hand I, I do want people to set big goals and it's hard to tell a 13 year old what their potential is you know you, you don't want to smash that dream quickly but I think it's the job of the facilitator to make sure that you know have the goal that you want whether that's team you know the team winning a championship being a starter someday going on to a professional group whatever it may be um, have the goal 
and develop a system where working toward that goal will also benefit them in other ways. If the actionable steps of becoming the star point guard for a state championship team also lend themselves to being a productive member of the community, um, a, a diligent student, um, maybe someone who's an activist, you know, whatever it might be, just or, or, or at a base level, um, steps that will lead them toward a, toward a lifetime of, of health and wellness. Um, if the facilitators, if the coaches can kind of meet them right where that drive is and make sure that if, you know, if we have this thing, it's a character by design idea and the superordinate goal is the thing, you know, that we don't judge. And let's say it's professional basketball. And then if you work down toward the actionable steps and then some, at some point cut off this top layer and realize that if you've taken these action steps, you know, all to the good, that framing becomes maybe the most important thing. Um, and yeah. in Native American communities, this, this could be particularly important because Native American, uh, American Indian Alaska Native kids consistently score lowest on every measure of academic, every right. standardized measure of academic achievement right. that we have. Right. And there, there are a lot of reasons for this. Um, and I think the graduation rate is around 65, high school graduation rates around 65%, wow. whereas it's close to 90%. Is that right? For the nation as a whole, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in terms of finding ways, well, you've got to do two things. One is you've got to motivate interest in academics. Right. And secondly, you've got to have decent teachers that would actually teach them something. Right. Those are, those are both no yeah, absolutely. difficult yeah. challenges. Right. There is a two-pronged effect. Maybe in the third prong, would you know, there is certainly a discussion of, you know, a standardized test. Is it? An accurate measure of, of the sort of intellect that exists on the res, you know, and or is the it, is is it no. and the answer is no, for sure. But um, I think just developing an appreciation for academics and a thirst for learning, um, that's probably what we're getting after. But you're right. right, it requires two things. It requires the learner to be motivated and it requires the motivator, the coach, the teacher, whatever, um, to kind of be good at their job, for lack of a better yeah. way of saying it. Yeah. No, it's yeah, totally right. And the resources put into Indian education are, are just woefully inadequate. Yeah. Um, and that and that again, it's, it's another federal problem. There's a great there's there's a, a developing movement um, for going back to traditional foods hmm. on Native American reservations, and part of the reason is that these a lot of these are food deserts. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's just no decent food there. Sure. And Chicago is one of them. And if anyone doesn't know what a food desert is, it essentially means it's there's no healthy food in sight. It would be right. more expensive to go find you know, fresh produce, say, than it would be to go to a KFC or, or a McDonald's or right. something like that. And it's, it's not even a matter of if you, if you, don't, you know, if you don't have transportation, you're right. going where you can walk. Right. Right. Um, but the, the food sovereignty movement, but basically going back to a more traditional diet, which leads to the whole question of diabetes mm -hmm. and heart disease on among American Indian and Alaska Native populations. Diabetes, the, the rates are just through the roof. Yeah. And there is one thought about that is is that it's the imposition of the non-traditional diet on <clears throat> um, American Indian people, which of course happened on the reservations when there was no traditional food. So, you know, they got white flour and right. whatever. Um, and you can you can actually trace if if you watch how the roads were built going west, the incidence of diabetes increases along the roads. 
Say more about that. It's, it's because of the, of the food supply. Yeah. Or because as, as people moved away from traditional foods, the, the three sisters, which are corn, squash, and beans, which is a traditional, in the Southwest at least, that was traditional yeah. diet. As people moved away from that and didn't have time to adapt to the highly processed foods mm-hmm. that the army was basically giving them, yeah. um, there are reservations where the incidence of diabetes is 90%. Holy cow. Where the incidence among under fives is 50%. It's amazing. And it just, just, and it's a killer disease. It's, I mean, it's absolutely a killer disease. And it's especially a killer disease if the only access, to he- your only access to healthcare is the Indian Health Service, which is way underfunded. Yeah. And before the Affordable Care Act, the Indian Health Service could basically offer life or limb care. Mm-hmm. Which means that you get care not when you might first diagnose this problem, right. but when you're about to die or lose a leg. Right. And of course, by then it's too late. It's too late. You're mm-hmm. going to lose a leg anyway, or you're going to die of the cancer anyway because it's now four stage. And had we looked at it when it was stage one, right. but there was no money to do that kind of treatment. So um, that is that's... diabetes on the reservation is uh. absolutely. It's tragic. It's, I mean, imposed sickness. It is um, not self-inflicted, but it, but it has to do with, uh, it, 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 I mean, that's a massive opportunity gap. We think about opportunity yeah. gaps, like not having access to nutrition and understanding of, of overall health and wellness. I mean. Well, even if you understand it, if you don't have access no, to the right. food, it doesn't you, matter. Right. Right. And there, there are a lot of diabetes prevention programs or diabetes... Um, prevention programs both run by tribes and run by the federal government so mm-hmm. there's there are probably other people you could partner with yeah because of course in 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 dealing with diabetes exercise is, is a major major component. absolutely and the, the incidence of diabetes among kids is absolutely terrifying let's talk about what some people are doing specifically we, we mentioned Kendall net is it Kendall Netmaker? Netmaker, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kendall Netmaker started a company called Nietzsche Gear, and he is designing, producing, and selling athletic gear. And um, part of his profits go to programs for kids, basically yeah. to get kids involved in sports. And when you get them involved in sports, you can then also work with them on other issues, yeah. on social issues, on academic issues. And he, he has really been quite successful, and he's, re- he's very young. Yeah. So it, it's it's an amazing success story, and, and I think you would want to be uh, in touch with him. And I'm sure there are there are many other people out there doing this kind of work. And, sure. and once you start looking for them, I think you'll find them. I like that. Maybe, and we'll continue to highlight that work as we go. We're going to reach out to Kendall for sure, and, and I'm sure being in that world, he knows um, I'm who sure the he next does. person to talk yeah. to might be. Yeah. Very interesting. All right, well, thank you very much for your time today. I've had a blast. Uh, I've learned a lot. Some of it exciting, some of it disheartening in a way, but uh, all of it relevant, and I think we need to be looking hard at, at all of these issues. Okay, well, you're welcome. It was my pleasure to speak with you. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. 
It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.